This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and insert promo code FILMCAST. That's HelloFresh.com and promo code FILMCAST for $30 off. This episode is also brought to you by Bombfell. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. For $25 off your first purchase, visit bombfell.com slash filmcast. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com slash filmcast for $25 off. Hello and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Devendra Hardwar and tonight I'm joined with Jeff Kanata and also Brad Oman, aka Ethan Anderton from Slash Film, is joining us. Uh, Brad, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Awesome. And thank you for joining us at the last minute here, Brad. Uh, we're going to be reviewing Thor Ragnarok tonight. As always, you can email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com and follow our twitter feed at slash filmcast on twitter but let's start with what we've been watching guys and uh i just want to quickly talk about last flag flying the new film from richard linklater uh this guy he you know he is one of my favorite directors so i've been really looking forward to this film and this movie stars steve carell brian cranston and Lawrence fishburne uh really centered on steve carell's character uh they're all former vietnam vets and steve carell's character is trying to get in touch with his old uh colleagues uh, because he has to bury his son, who recently died uh, in the Iraq War, and this is a—it's a really interesting film because I think it goes over not only the regret and the issues that you know that Vietnam vets would have, but also it certainly ties into like what um, families who have children going into the Iraq War are dealing with, and. It's a it's a unique film. I think like every link later thing, this doesn't feel like a big narrative experiment like Boyhood. It's one of his smaller films, maybe something like uh, what was the one with Jack Black? Uh, oh. uh, Bernie. Bernie. Yeah. Bernie, it's, like, right. it's a quiet little film, but I think also pretty quietly devastating, too, because these are all characters who are dealing with the aftermath of war and of serving for their country and maybe being a little disillusioned by it. And Steve Carell's character, too, who, you know, didn't have a great experience in Vietnam. And now he's dealing with this terrible loss. Um, you know, all of these guys in some way seem to have lost faith in their country a little uh, just by their experiences. But really, it's all also about, like, the regret that they've faced in their time of war. Um, and I just I, I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was uh, a good use of Steve Carell in a, you know, sad Steve Carell mode. And there have been a couple dramas where he's kind of done that and hasn't kind of worked out very well. Uh, but I liked his character here. He's a soft, uh, you know, he's a quiet spoken guy who's dealing with this huge loss. Brian Cranston's sort of the uh, the more puckish friend. He, he He's a bit of a scamp, uh, kind of a casually racist scamp, too. Uh, he's a guy, you know, he's a guy uh, from old school America. And Lawrence Fishburne is a guy who used to be kind of a asshole and kind of a playboy too turned reverend so he's trying to walk kind of a cleaner path and they're both like these uh these little devils on steve Carell's shoulder helping him get through this loss and uh yeah i, I really enjoyed this film 
Uh, Jeff, I know you saw it. What did you think? I loved it. I was blown away by it. Um, I, I agree that it's it's beautiful and heartwarming and devastating and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those one of those experiences where you're crying and then laughing through those tears. And the performances across the board are incredible. The tiniest bit parts in this movie are incredible performances. Like just characters that have one scene are are completely (laughs) feel so authentic and and beautifully performed. But the main three, uh, Cranston, Fishburne and Carell, as you said, are doing, I think Oscar caliber work, each of them. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's an amazing piece of work. I guess it's based on a novel that actually came out in the nineties. The movie set in like the mid nineties, like the first Iraq war and um, no, no, it's set in uh, in like 2003. So after after the Bush Iraq or the second Bush. Iraq. Oh, I guess that's yes, right. Yes. Saddam Hussein right, yeah. is, is the overthrow of Saddam Hussein. Correct. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess they were trying to make it around, around that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a little too raw and having sort of the uh, the the cushion of history a little bit. The we can look mm-hmm. at it with with a little more clarity. And but it, it definitely has relevance to today. I mean, you're talking about living through a time when we're, we're thinking of starting up a new war or the kinds of things we send our soldiers to, or, you know, when I saw this movie, a big part of the news was these four, uh, Americans that were killed in Niger and Mm -hmm. the, the American government's response to that and whether people were, were honored or not honored. That was all in my mind, very fresh in my mind when I saw this movie, which was a little, you know, a while back. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just about sacrifice. It's about the kind of people who do make those sacrifices for our country and the psychological effect of it. And, and, you have these two generations of servicemen and their perspective on war and country and patriotism. It's all so relevant to what's happening in the news today. And the experience of sort of being on a road trip with these guys, because this movie is very much a road trip movie. Yeah. You just love, you love hanging out with them. Cranston is charming as all hell. You know, uh, Lawrence Fishburne is this, sort of mischievous, uh, guy wrapped in the cloth, you know, it's, it's, it's great fun. And, and like you said, Carell is, is sort of like 40 year old virgin yeah. Carell. He's you just know? moping around <laughs> yeah, doing his thing. Yeah. It's so good, man. It's so good. There are some incredible scenes. It actually plays to me like a play, like mm-hmm. it could have been a stage play because it's really just these guys in dialogue, hanging out with each other for over two hours. It's a pretty long movie too, but I loved being with them. I wanted to be around them. It's an interesting dynamic that they have and the history that they all share from, you know, 30 years ago. It's, it's a great movie. I think it's one of the best Linklater movies in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's, it really ties into what Linklater does well, like the passage of time and the the regret of the past and the relationship you have with people and how that changes over time, uh, it's definitely a more substantial movie than something like Everybody Wants Some, which I you know right. I enjoyed, but that was definitely criticized for being maybe lighter link later and maybe a bit of a self indulgent film for him. Whereas Last Flag Flying feels relevant, and you know yeah it, it is probably a little too long in some respects, but I also enjoyed all the time I spent with these guys. And yeah, I just, uh, it's something that I, I'm still thinking about 
um, just think about their journey and what they're going through. Uh, Cause they basically end up having to, uh, this is all in the trailer, but Steve Carell is not pleased with how the government treated his son. And he's sort of waging his own little, like uh, his own little war against the tyranny of the American government by taking him back home and burying him, you know, himself instead of having him buried in Arlington Cemetery. So there's a lot of commentary in there too, like just about people being disillusioned with their government and not trusting their government anymore. And yeah, yeah, that probably can't be any more timely today. And they couldn't have known mm-hmm. about that when they started making this movie, right? Yeah, those yeah. those themes. It's just serendipity that they're so relevant to the time that this movie is being released because when they were when they were making it, I'm sure it was it was, you know, not really mm-hmm. as prominent a theme in American culture. And it well, just it was it's a an, theme in a different way. Right. It just seems like right. we're, we're, the government is always finding new ways to disappoint us. And <laughs> it's a little different now, probably more worse. But, you know, it, I, I do find it interesting, like going back and thinking of like uh, W's term right it, it almost seems like we're looking back at him like a uh you know at least he wasn't as bad as trump in a way like it, it, right. how terrible that administration was seems less terrible in retrospect but at the end of the day they did some crazy things um if somebody i said yeah, they tweet, lied to us to they get lied us to a us war. like <laughs> all of pretty much a lot of like what the world is going through now kind of goes back to the iraq war and how that was handled and how badly that was handled and the domino effect that had on that region and the rest of the world. So yeah, things have been bad for a while. Unfortunately, the only time I I think things weren't uh, genuinely, I don't know the idea of Pax Americana, right? The idea that America was like at peace uh, and uh, at the height of its powers was like the nineties. And that was a time when we were afraid of things like aliens and not like, you know, actual terrorists and things like that. So kind of interesting as a culture. Anyway, the movie is really good. Uh, Worth a watch, especially if you're a Linklater fan. Uh, So that's what Jeff and I have been watching. Brad, what have you been watching? Uh, So unfortunately, I haven't been watching much because my schedule has been filled by student teaching. I've been finishing up a transition to teaching program to get my high school uh, English teaching license. And so I've got six weeks left on that and I'm looking forward to getting back to the movies more nice. often. Congrats. Congratulations, man. man. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. It's been exhausting, but uh, hopefully it'll be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, but I did make the time, uh, the first weekend that it came out to watch, uh, season two of stranger things. Yeah. I don't have much time to watch stuff, but <laughs> 10 hours of a TV show I watched guys. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's you're it's, prioritizing what's important to you. basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, it, it only took me like two days on the weekend. And plus, it's, it, you know, it's, it's the only thing that I took the time to watch. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, and honestly, uh, I know that people have been kind of ragging on it a little bit because it's not they say it's not quite as good as the first season. I think it's right on par with the first season. It's it's definitely more of the same. I think it's more uh, focused, honestly. I, yeah, I, I agree with that, actually. Mm-hmm. It's I, I feel like it hones in on the character's more than it did on the on the first uh, in the first season um i think that we get it's it's a little more calculated it definitely feels more mature and not just because the the kids are growing up it just feels like the duffer brothers really found their footing with the kind of story that they want to tell mm-hmm. and how they how how they want their characters to grow up for sure um, for sure and, and I, it, it i think the focus thing really shows through as well because we kind of know what to expect but i think they also have a better sense of the story they're trying to tell Right now, and uh, there is one episode that feels kind of like an offshoot and almost maybe like a uh, hidden pilot for another series within this world. Uh, 
I'm not going to say too much about it. I actually don't. A lot of people are just hating on that particular episode, too. But I actually think it's still important for 11 and, you know, for what happens throughout the rest of the season. It is kind of jarring, though, and kind of crazy, like how much uh, they're basically starting to treat this world like the X-Men universe in a way. Yeah, I agree. It's I, I didn't have as much of a problem with that particular episode as other people have. It's definitely uh, it, it feels a little out of place and it's, yeah. really, it, it's a little jarring. Like you have to take some time to be like, OK, what's going on here? But it, it definitely is a good development for Eleven as a character. And if anything, uh, you know, because we don't necessarily know what's coming in the next two or three seasons because they're, they're talking about going up to five seasons. Right, right. You know, th- this could keep expanding, you know. So this this might not be as much of just a, a little branch, you know, off to the side as just expanding the universe as a whole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, and, yeah, yeah, I just love I, I, I'm glad they expanded, you know, the, the references to, uh, you know, more... 80s movies you know i mean there's there's plenty of aliens in there there's plenty of gremlins in there yeah yeah there's there's plenty of good nostalgic goodness in there but i i definitely think that where season two succeeds is you know it becoming more than just uh a nostalgic ride yeah and i think they're building out the world really well and also expanding on like the mythology too right because we didn't have a sense of what was happening in the first season. Like uh, there's this other dimension and there's a monster from the other dimension and we got to kill the monster. And that's pretty much it. And I think where the, the actual extent of what they're building uh, is kind of showing. And there's a lot of like, almost like a Lovecraftian type of lore going on. Like they're not directly talking about, because they, they wouldn't know what's going on with the, the big monsters now. Uh, but I like how they're building a mythology around it using D&D and things like that. Things that boys can understand. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Any other thoughts on this? No, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Just get my, you know, take some time to watch it if you haven't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it as well. And also something I've sort of been watching but more playing around with uh, is the iPhone 10. And kind of worth mentioning here. Uh, because it's the first uh, phone I've seen with like an HDR Dolby Vision screen, which means it's kind of it's kind of great for watching movies. I'm not a big fan of watching movies on my phone, but this uh, it's a very nice screen, guys. Like I'm surrounded by beautiful displays uh, in my work uh, with everything I do, and just having like a nice little uh, little perfect OLED screen uh, that looks Except almost. For that notch yeah. on the side <laughs> well, except for the notch but you know i don't i don't watch movies carrying over the notch because that's blasphemy uh but i kind of i kind of like the notch too the notch isn't good for movie watching uh you can format the video just to like play in traditional widescreen uh but i also i'm a fan of like weird unique displays so the notch is definitely there um i'm liking it as a phone but also as a device for viewing things i'm a lot more interested in doing that now than i was with like my older iphone and any android mm. phones i've used and uh, apparently a change that they made last year, too, with the iPhone 7, uh, stereo speakers. You know, I, I didn't upgrade last year, but the stereo speakers actually don't sound too bad. Like, it's enough to, like, sit and just watch a TV show. So probably something I'll be taking more advantage of, like, when I'm traveling for work and things like that. I got a 10 as well, but I haven't watched anything on it. Oh, man. Uh, like, go to, tend, go to your I iTunes library to. and anything that's, like, HDR compatible, just, just like Wonder Woman or uh, Baby Driver or something like that. Just, mm-hmm. just give that a bit of a play and bring that close to your face, and it just looks beautiful. I really was avoiding it because of yeah. that notch, but I guess you can you can change the the yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, you can like if you you can just double tap and the video will like cover the entire screen, which I think is it's fine for stuff like YouTube videos for things where, you know, you're not too dead set on the artistic, you know, intent and quality of that screen format. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it is nice having a bit slightly bigger display than before. Um, you could you can go read my, some of my articles about like the iPhone Plus and how much I hate that design. So I'm very glad that this kind of fixes all of that. It's just kind of a perfect pocketable screen at this point. That's not the only X device that you have been playing with this oh, yeah, week, right? That's right. I did. I also reviewed the uh, Xbox One X at Engadget, so you could go check that out. Uh, yeah, a little relevant to us too because that also plays uh, HDR movies and has the 4K Blu-ray drive. Uh, I really like that drive on the Xbox One S last year. Uh, that that was like my go-to disc drive for a while. Um, you know, uh, Planet Earth Two. If if you get this thing or if you have a One S, you better have Planet Earth Two on 4K Blu-ray because it will just melt your eyeballs. It's just one of the most <laughs> beautiful things I've ever seen. Uh, the One X is a little more, you know, it's it does what Microsoft says it does. It's uh, a little more debatable if you really need to upgrade. I think that's the big thing. Unless yeah. you have a new TV. I think if you have a launch Xbox One and you upgrade it to a new TV, it is probably worth doing this upgrade at some point just to have the that's slightly me. looking games. Yes. You just described me. There you go. About the Xbox One X. There you go. Perfect for you, Jeff. And now you have a 4K Blu-ray player. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I got to get me some 4K Blu-rays now. Get some 4K Blu-rays. You got, oh, man. I... T- at some point, I don't know when, in a couple of years, you'll be able to replace your TV too and get get some HDR11. Yeah, because that's all the don't, fun. Don't stuff. remind me. It kills me. <laughs> it kills me every time. Sorry, Jeff. Very sorry. <laughs> so let's move on to film news. And uh, a couple. Uh, there's two big pieces of Disney news this week. First of all, uh, there is the LA Times blackout. Uh, apparently, Disney um, just refused to. Uh, they they blocked LA Times reporters from seeing their films uh, because of the papers reporting around was it real estate or something do you, do you guys have a sense of what's going on there yeah just to be clear i mm-hmm. looked it up it, it is about uh, an, a big article in the la times about anaheim mm-hmm. and sort of accusations that disney was not paying their fair share in uh taxes and in sort of um zoning fees uh, yeah, right. Zoning fee, putting putting money back into the community, and they were sort of uh, le- leeching out of uh, Anaheim. Disney, as a company, did not like that and said, "L.A. Times, uh, guess you'll have to pay to see our movies now. We are not inviting you to uh, any screenings in advance. We are not inviting you any media screenings. If you want to cover our movies, you have to buy a ticket just like anybody else on opening day." And that's a really horrible precedent to set. It's For a sure. really terrible. That sort of uh, retaliation, we didn't like what one arm of your paper or journalistic uh, destination did. And so we are going to punish a different arm of your, uh, you know, of your company. And uh, I applaud people for having the fortitude to say, hey, that's not acceptable. And we are going to stand with the L.A. Times and not let Disney do it. And uh, I'm I'm pleased that Disney had backed down from this because I think it would have been if they had entrenched and had turned into a vicious fight, it would have been a horrible thing. And there was a lot of people like, well, are they going to hold out through the release of Star Wars? Because that's the real test of <laughs> of uh, a bunch of these outlets, you know, not covering Star Wars in advance. If if yeah. that's the case, it's just like and, the easiest problem to solve, right? To to get rid of this bad press. Yeah, yeah. But right. the uh, the statement uh, Disney a, a spokesperson 
released uh, to to papers today uh, is uh, they said we've had productive discussions with the newly installed leadership at the Los Angeles Times regarding our specific concerns. And as a result, we've agreed to restore access to advanced screenings for their film critics, which is kind of a weirdly worded statement. Honestly, that is a bit of a like we didn't do anything wrong and we are, you know, you, you are granted back at our screenings at our behest. Uh, which yeah. Yeah, these are Disney screenings. So yeah, they can, they can do whatever they want to block people. Like there, there's no right to attend these screenings, but it's certainly a bad precedent. And yeah, I, I guess Disney, like the bad publicity was enough to make them relent. Uh, but I, I remember, uh, I saw Drew McQueenie tweeting today, like, you know, the, the LA times certainly wasn't the first, um, you know, uh, sites or uh, first media entity, to be uh to get backlash from any of these studios right like any cool news yeah. has had uh well he specifically was banned from the skywalker ranch but disney and other companies have done similar things to other outlets it's just not a big traditional one like the la times well it's worrisome and and yeah it's hitting mm-hmm. our particular field here our our purview but it's happening on a grand national scale, you yes, know, when you yeah. have the president of the United States calling certain outlets fake news because they're not uh, kind to him. It, you know, that's that's basically the exact same thing that that people are scared of is that if if you are not favorable, if you are critical in your coverage of a certain multinational corporation mm-hmm. or political figure or what have you, that that will be that there'll be retaliation uh, based on that coverage and it will actually begin to skew coverage because mm-hmm. people will be like, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to get that, that backlash. So we better be kind to Disney or Trump or whoever it is next. That's the worrisome thing where you don't have an objective uh, free press anymore. And For sure. yeah. while, while this is, you know, kind of small potatoes in the entertainment field, it really does have repercussions across all journalism. And yeah, yeah. what better person to talk about that than a, a person teaching journalism to high school kids? <laughs> yeah, no, it's this. This was such an interesting thing, thing to see develop in such a short period of time because it was definitely frustrating that Disney. You know, it, it'd be one thing if they just decided to, you know, not let LA Times into their advanced screenings, and mm-hmm. you didn't know the reason because that happens all the time. There's plenty of times where. You know, some outlets don't get invited to set visits, or they don't oh, get yeah. invited yeah. to certain junk and stuff like that. And you don't never ever really know why. Like there could be bad blood with a publicist. You know, it could be because of an article you wrote, but they won't specifically tell you that. But since L.A. Times, you know, knew exactly why Disney was blocking them from screenings, you know, that's where the problem comes in. It's it's definitely one of those situations where it goes against the you know ethics and the point of free press. And so, of course, you know, media has to stand together and be like, look, you can't punish us for, you know, writing news, writing stories like this is what we're supposed to do. So it's, you know, Disney made a huge mistake. I'm glad that they came back on it. And like the most frustrating thing to me was seeing the general public and audience respond to this like like the L.A. Times was whining that they weren't going to see movies for free. Right, when, right. when that's not what it was about at all. Uh. It's it's tough to even yeah complain about these things because yeah you sometimes seem like you're whining. I do have to say like Disney is certainly not alone in this. Like in the technology world, uh, oh man guys, Apple pulls this pulls this shit all over the place. It's it's been pretty crazy, right? They uh, what they after that whole iPhone four leak, right? They blacklisted Gizmodo for like seven years or some like yeah. ridiculous amount of time. Um, we, that was maybe a situation that was a little more like I guess understandable, but. 
like, trust me, Apple will do crazy things to companies or to like media companies. And you just don't know. You kind of just have to play their game and you basically have no power in the situation. So I'm just glad to see like this one little bit of media solidarity ended up having a happy ending. Uh, But you know what? I I feel like this leads to our next bit of Disney news. Uh, So there was a report this week about Disney potentially eyeing uh, 20th Century Fox to buy it, which sounds huge. Kind of of a big deal. Uh, I'm going to read from the article here uh, on Slash Film. Uh, According to a new report, 21st Century Fox, whose assets include the 20th Century Fox Film Studio and Fox Television, have been talking with the Walt Disney Company about selling most of its assets as part of a plan to refocus and reorganize as a company built around news and sports. That means that Disney could acquire a massive and valuable library of movies, characters, and franchises to their already impressive lineup. So, you know, I don't want to devote too much time to this because it uh, the report doesn't say that they're talking anymore. Um, something could happen because of this or nothing. Companies do this all the time. Uh, but the implications are kind of huge, right? Like it would, this is the giant Disney that we're just talking about, like the power that they could sway over uh, over journalists. Uh, but this is Disney that has the Star Wars franchise, has the Marvel franchises, and with this deal could get several more, including uh, getting the X-Men and all those folks back. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about this? Oh, so many thoughts. Oh, so many <laughs> thoughts. Uh Obviously, the you know the tr- Twitter gentsia and the and the geek verse uh, exploded in a tither about this about the idea of the mm-hmm. X Men rejoining the Marvel you know, Studios brand or Fantastic Four or even the fanfare Twentieth Century Fox fanfare being put back into Star Wars movies going forward, uh, you know, or even the fact that. Avatar, which is a Fox property, <laughs> might be a you know a lot of people were very excited about a the lot potential of people. Of Avatar a lot of people. being yes. a Disney. Yeah, there's already a Disney uh, Pandora Land. You know why not? It just makes sense. It's probably the reason that Disney <laughs> even went into this uh, negotiation. But yes, while uh, while the nerd part of me, the geek part of me that that gets excited for that and would want potentially a uh, Avengers versus X Men movie that you know you can sort of start imagining those wonderful geek fantasies coming true. The real truth of this would be, it, it would be a terrible thing for the world <laughs> uh, for Disney to just slowly own. Everything uh-huh. is not good is not good. And while it has been very positive for Disney to own Pixar and own Marvel and own Lucasfilm, those things have turned out pretty good. This train needs to stop at some point because <laughs> that last story we were just talking yep. about yep. is a great example of what monopolies can do. And all of a sudden when you have a complete monopoly over the film industry and you own all the properties that anybody cares about and you own a, a third or a fifth or half of all movies that are released, some really terrible things can happen. And there's all of a sudden no competition and there's all of a sudden uh, rules that they can make that everybody has to follow because what else are you going to do? This is, I think, a potentially really, really bad development if you just like 
the world and competition and uh, a non-monolithic entity controlling everything your eyeballs take in. Competition is great, right? Like uh, I've seen some people complain about how Fox has treated the X-Men movies. And while it's a little true, because you look at X-Men Origins, right? Uh, This entire, that that wave of superhero movies, uh, starting with X-Men 1 and then Spider-Man, like if that didn't happen, which Fox helped kickstart, uh, we wouldn't have like you know the entire Marvel universe right now, or even Christopher Nolan's uh, like his take on Batman and everything. Um, but also without competition, we wouldn't get something like Logan, like a crazy ass batshit R-rated hardcore movie that really is just trying to do its own thing. And I think Fox mainly did that because they you know they don't have many cards to play, right? They might as well let an artist like James Mangold do his thing and see what happens. And also, especially after Deadpool was so successful as an R rated superhero movie, uh, these experiments could go away. And the bigger danger too, is like the, uh, what we're seeing with maybe the handling of star Wars as a franchise and the way that franchise may not be the best home to unique voices. Um, and I guess this is sort of relevant to how we're going to end up talking about Thor Ragnarok, but you know, the, the potential for danger is certainly there, right? Yeah, I mean, it could be it could be very, very bad. And you don't want to have one company control everything. And and it just not even not even these IP. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about the IP because we all care about it and because that's the flashy topic. But just the the film industry getting smaller and smaller and fewer and fewer people controlling more of it is not a good thing. It, it means yeah. that the kinds of decisions of what movies get made get put into fewer and fewer hands and those people tend to make the same kinds of movies. So, th- you know, that not not the 20th Century Fox is necessarily making, <laughs> you know, all these crazy movies. But Fox Searchlight is a part of that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and we should note that according to some details that um, the Fox television arm of 20th Century Fox would not be part of this deal. Mm-hmm. But there's still some dispute over whether uh, TV – IP like the Simpsons and family guy would, and whether you can see the Simpsons at Disney parks and stuff like that, all of those details, like it's, is all sort of, Oh yeah. Uh, unknown at this it's point. All we don't up even in know the air. Nothing, happen. nothing may happen. Yeah. With any of this, I hope nothing happens, but it is like, it is always funny when we get a brief glimpse of a story like this is like, Oh man, Oh man, this is terrifying. Like what if this actually does happen? Um, yeah. but anyway, Brad, anything you want to mention about this potential, uh, a bit of media consolidation? I mostly agree with you guys, but but also just mm-hmm. to play devil's advocate here, I feel like there there's the potential that you know if Disney did buy 20th Century Fox and mm-hmm. some of Fox TV, they could always let it you know operate as its own side thing, and it could you know become something like Disney's Touchstone Pictures, which right, makes right. which makes movies that are drastically different from what Disney normally makes. You know, we're talking about uh, Touchstone making movies like Con Air and Unbreakable. And, you know, stuff like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I'm not even sure Disney would make today. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's I, I, I think that if it were to happen, you know, I, I could see that maybe 20th Century Fox and Fox Searchline that, you know, still being able to have their, you know, their own vision and go their own way and just be overseen by Disney. And if anything, Disney might give them, you know, a little bit more leeway to do that and more mm-hmm. freedom because they have you know such such big backing by you know everything that, that disney brings with it so while i think that it, it is definitely dangerous to have one major corporation controlling so much 
I feel like there is maybe some good that come from it, but the <laughs> the, the, the risks definitely outweigh the, the potential good. Well, sure. what you're describing sure. is is how they operate Marvel Studios and Pixar, right? Those are sort right. of pseudo-autonomous subdivisions of, of Disney Studios, but I don't necessarily think that that is a saving grace in this case. <laughs> I, just, I, I feel like while we still might be able to get some some great movies out of that and some great Fox movies or whatever – it's just really scary to have one co- corporation in control of so much of a segment of the the media landscape. It's I don't know. I, it just make, gives me the heebie-jeebies, and it's just part of this sort of steamroller that at a certain point is going to be unstoppable. Uh, you know, be like, well, we you know we should have yeah. Yeah, you know, they 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 came for my they came for my X Men and I said nothing. <laughs> they came for uh, my, they came for my Simpsons and I said nothing. It turns you know? out Disney or uh, Mickey Mouse was the Sith Lord all along. That's basically what <laughs> right. it's going to end up being. He's but uh, Snope. Speaking of major franchise changes or eruptions, Brian Michael Bendis, the comic book writer. And I think one of the biggest names, pretty much the biggest name at Marvel, right? Like he's the guy who basically created the uh, archetype or the uh, the way the entire Marvel universe is set up right now is moving to DC. And I know yeah. his name. I, I know this is kind of a big deal, but Jeff, can you break this down for us? Absolutely. Yeah, Brian Michael Bendis is Marvel. He's sort of synonymous with Marvel, has been for the last uh, 15 years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has, I think, led more of the uh, the big Marvel crossover events than anybody else. He's He's the guy that created Miles Morales uh, in in the Spider-Man. I mean, he created the ultimate universe in a large sense. He created his first job for uh, Marvel was creating Ultimate Spider-Man when they rebooted the Marvel Universe in the Ultimate line. Uh, And he has had a hand in the direction of Marvel for a decade, over a decade, um, in a big, big way. I mean, he, he is a very prolific writer. His run on Ultimate Spider-Man with Mark Bagley uh, is the longest uh, writer and artist pairing of all time. He, mm-hmm. he has had a big, big impact on Marvel as a company and individual characters and sort of the overall story of the universe. And a lot of what he created and influenced is seen in the Marvel Studios films. I mean, there's very much a, a lot of that. DNA in the films as well, which is why it's relevant to us. It's it's a big deal because he's not only leaving Marvel, he's going to DC where he has never worked. Right, right. Usually when you see these big defections, it'd be somebody that's dabbled and done some some work for the other company, and then they sign this exclusivity deal. Bendis has worked for Marvel exclusively for a long, long time, has been a big part of the company, and now he is going exclusively to DC. It's a wholesale transfer over there it's a multi-year deal they still as of our recording they haven't announced what individual projects he's going to be working on but you can bet he will be given keys to the kingdom it'd be funny if he Uh, just didn't do anything but just sat there and DC (laughs) just like locked him out of uh, marvel's writers rooms basically like (laughs) just just can't have him okay he's here we gave him the island like that's it 
I mean, if you think if you think about uh, as a big fan of his, I mean, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people feel like maybe he has he's so prolific and has has been such a big part of Marvel for so long that inevitably with the comic books community, there's been some backlash at, at certain point with his style of writing. I love him. I've I've been a fan of his since the early, early days of his independent stuff, stuff like uh, Jinx. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the idea of him bringing that sensibility to Superman or Batman or or any of those Justice League characters, I think is a pretty exciting idea. And uh, you know the the idea the, the alternate version of this would be if like Jeff Johns went to Marvel and signed an exclusivity with Marvel, right? But now you're going to have Bendis and Jeff Johns working together. You know, Jeff Johns tweeted today that he's all excited to work with Bendis. This is a big deal, and uh-huh. it could lead to some interesting shakeups at DC and some interesting new projects and to have his voice in that universe is a, I think a pretty exciting thing. And do you, do you think like this could affect like maybe DC movies at some point? Because I, I do, you know, I haven't followed the comics universe super closely, but I have read like some of the criticism for maybe where WB is taking these DC properties is that they just, they haven't really had many good stories recently to kind of build some movie offshoots from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you if you like the Netflix Daredevil show, you need to thank Brian Michael Bendis. Like right. he created that version of Daredevil that you're watching. If you like if you like the uh, the um, uh, Jessica Jones show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he created that character in a book called Alias, which is really, really good. And you should read it if you haven't. Uh, he literally created that character out of whole cloth. Right. <laughs> the idea the Luke Cage that you see in the, in the Netflix series completely created by Brian Michael Bendis. Like he, Luke Cage was a completely different character before right. Michael Bendis got a hold of So he's of kind so, of a big deal and probably a good thing for WB movies or WB DC movies down the line. Yeah, I mean theoretically if uh-huh. he has that kind of impact uh in DC, then yeah, maybe we could actually see that influence going forward in their cinematic properties as well. Excellent. Uh, you know, he's going to have such a huge impact on uh, DC, I predict. You know what has had a huge impact on me, Devendra? What, Jeff? Hello, Fresh. <laughs> being able to cook at home, being able to be the author of my own meals in my own there. home. Yeah. 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 Uh, our sponsor, Hello, Fresh, uh, I got to tell you, it's an amazing thing. And it's an amazing thing that you can have in your life as well. It's convenient. So this is these are meals delivered to your house, ingredients for meals and recipes, easy to follow recipes that lets you be a chef, that lets you get better at cooking. Uh, believe me, I am not somebody that was ever good at cooking, but these recipes are so easy and so convenient. Everything you need is right there. My favorite thing about HelloFresh, by the way, is that each meal is in its own individually boxed little container when you mm-hmm. get it. So you can just take it right out, put it in your fridge. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's so convenient. Uh, you don't have to even worry about what you're going to make that week. You know, you've got some meals already taken care of, and they're always delicious. They have a really flexible menu plan, a wide variety of chef-curated recipes. They change every week, almost never repeat. They've got all kinds of uh, dietary options for you if you're into meat and fish or if you're into vegetarian stuff or pescatarian stuff it's easy they have a family plan that uh, make quick and easy meals uh, for your whole family and 
it's so flexible. You can do whatever you, you need in your given week. It's going to make your life better. I promise. It made my life better. Uh, mm-hmm. you get, you get excited about cooking. I I've never before I was cooking with these plans. I was never somebody that looked forward to cooking and hence uh-huh. I ate the same four things every week. <laughs> And it got monotonous and crappy, and it yeah. was not good for me. It, these were not healthy choices. HelloFresh is healthy. It's fresh. It's delicious. I have to say, too, like just making a couple of these meals, you learn skills that you can apply to things down the line. I made a citrus salad with my first HelloFresh meal, and that's like a bit of that flavor I bring to other salads I've made since then. It's been very helpful. I'm the only one that remembers the Beatles. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotted just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? So awesome. Let us give you $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Let us do that because you listen to this show. All you got to do is go to HelloFresh.com. Use the promo code FILMCAST when you check out, and you'll get $30 off your first week. It's inexpensive. It it really is an inexpensive, uh, very economical way to eat, but we're going to make it even more so your first week. $30 off. Check it out. Try it. Why not? You, you can cancel any time. I bet you're going to love it. I bet you're going to want it a part of your life. HelloFresh.com, promo code FILMCAST. Now on to a review of Thor Ragnarok. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. And then I went on a journey of self-discovery. I met you. And that was from the trailer for Thor Ragnarok, the third Thor film by director Taika Waititi. I'm going to read from the IMDb summary here. Uh, In prison, the almighty Thor finds himself in a lethal gladiatorial contest against the Hulk, his former ally. Thor must fight for survival and race against time to prevent the all-powerful Hela from destroying his home and the Asgardian civilization. So guys, this movie, I, I've been waiting a long time for this, right? I I was not too into Thor as a character when we first heard he'd be, you know, joining this whole thing. And the first Thor movie, I think is like half of a good movie. I think Kenneth Branagh brought a lot of like uh, dramatic flair to some of that film, but the actual superhero-y bits didn't quite work for me. Uh, the second film works for me as like a, uh, a kind of a dumb 80s fantasy film, right? Whereas this one feels like a great damn 80s fantasy film, right? <laughs> what, what do you guys think? Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Well, you know that I'm a Marvel zombie from way back, and uh, I have enjoyed all of the Thor films. Um, this one definitely feels like a turn of a corner right. for Thor. It, we are in a completely new place, and you find that out in the first moments of this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth is 
completely different in the role. Like it's the mm-hmm. same actor, but it feels like Thor has a personality that he never had before. Right. He, and you can there's sort a of, puckishness to him that wasn't there before, really. Right. You could sort of justify that by saying, oh, Thor has sort of grown by his uh, involvement on, on Earth and knowing Tony Stark and all this thing. He's like, okay, he's got a sense of humor now. Uh, I guess you could sort of, you know, uh, uh, retcon that if you need to. <laughs> I don't really care. All I know is the movie is ridiculously fun. The character is ridiculously fun. It's not even fair that Chris Hemsworth looks the way he does and can also do comedy. Like, dude, no. This is like the Channing Tatum problem, but yes, yeah. Yeah, you get to pick one. You get to either look like a Greek god, or in this case, a vaguely Norse god, uh, or you get to be really good at comedic timing. You can't have both. I'm sorry, that's against the rules. But he clearly breaks that rule because he's he's genuinely funny. I mean, we saw a little of that right in uh, the Ghostbusters reboot. Right, right. And he's had some other comic turns. But this one, he's really full on funny Thor. Um, laugh out loud, funny Thor. And make no mistake, this is a comedy. This is a superhero comedy. In the same way that Guardians of the Galaxy is a superhero comedy, I think it it does everything Guardians of the Galaxy does, but better. I know it's mm-hmm. a, it's heresy to say, I, I, but it's I a pre- better superhero comedy than Guardians of the Galaxy two for me. Yeah, I think it's better than the first one too. Uh, I, I mean, I it is I very love good. This yeah, movie. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I had so much fun watching it. It's got great action. It's got incredible visuals. You are in. It, it takes Thor to a place that he's never been. It really takes the Marvel Universe to a place it's never been. I mean, I guess it's most like Guardians of the Galaxy in that it has vibrant color right, and yeah. a crazy retro sort style. Of, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, I think it, it is. It's so funny. It's so fun. It's so cutely well directed. All of the side characters are having a great time. Um, uh, Kate, um, what's her name? Kate Blanchett. <laughs> Kate Blanchett, thank you. <laughs> Kate Blanchett as the villain is just having a blast, chewing scenery. She's amazing. Uh, it I, it was a complete home run for me. I just mm-hmm. had a, so much. I had a grin on my face the whole time. I was laughing out loud. There's ridiculously fun side characters, a cool storyline, some big surprises. I, yeah. I I just adore it. Jeff freaking Goldblum, yeah. Oh yeah, let me yeah. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is a gift to cinema. Every time he's on screen in this movie is gold, gold blue. Uh, yeah, he is, he is a gift to cinema in this movie. Just I'm doing the, I'm doing the Italian <laughs> hand kiss. to my lips. Mwah, it's perfect. so perfect. Brad, what do you think? Uh, I'm right there on the exact same page with, uh, Jeff. I loved this movie so much. It was exactly as good as I hoped it would be. I mean, even even better. Uh, it's it's so great to see a Marvel movie that doesn't shy away from comedy, and but that also doesn't sacrifice the cool factor and doesn't dull down the action or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a great blend of comedy and action, and none of the comedy feels forced. Uh, it's just everyone is, does such an amazing job bringing it all together to make this incredible sci-fi adventure that absolutely feels straight out of the 80s, uh, including the soundtrack by Mark, Mark Mothersbaugh. It's just yeah, yeah. 
it's such it's, a good soundtrack. It oh. is. It's, it's probably so good. the first great Marvel movie soundtrack, honestly. Yeah, for sure. That's you know, it's it's uh, you know, full of synth and mm-hmm. like it's uh, yeah. I just I I love everything about this movie. I will say I don't like it more than the first Guardians, although I do like it more than Volume Two. Same. Yeah. Um, but I, one of the things I was so surprised by is you know this this movie is just over. Uh, it's, it's like nearly two and a half hours long. It's like I think it's two hours and like fifteen minutes, something like that. Uh-huh. It doesn't feel like it at all. It goes by like it's such a breeze. Like you never yeah. feel bored. It moves. It moves so fast. Like I was surprised how quickly we got through like the first act. You know, it's just mm-hmm. one one beat after another, and it's everybody is so great in it. It's so great to see Chris Hemsworth cut loose because knowing what he can do comedically. Uh, you know, seeing him in uh, in Ghostbusters, but you could also just tell when he would do stuff like Saturday Night Live or you know little like sketches here and there that there was so much more comedy within him. And mm-hmm. Thor almost felt like he was it was holding him back. Like well, even do- the first Thor had like a bit of like fish out of water comedy, I think. But they yeah, but he really was the he was that. the straight yeah. man, right? He yeah, was always exactly. the. The guy not in on the joke, and and I love that now he's the guy cutting wise, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know he he gets to have so much more fun here, and and everybody does really, mm-hmm. and it's just uh, Taika Waititi, man. This I, I'm so glad that Marvel like took this chance to pluck him from doing what we do in the shadows and hunt for the wilder people to take on this huge movie because mm-hmm. I think this shows what superhero movies can do and what they should do in order to stop, you know, stop people from thinking that they're turning stale. Like superhero movies need to start fitting into other genres other than just being superhero movies. And I think we're starting to see that turn. We know we have new mutants coming out, which is going to be like a horror style movie. You know, this is basically a straight up comedy. It's a comedy that's funnier than most mainstream studio comedies. For sure. And I, yeah. And, and so I, I hope that Marvel starts to embrace this idea of that, you know, they don't have to stick with, you know, what people are calling the Marvel formula and embrace, you know, this this more unique side that directors bring to the table. I just, you know, Taika is an incredible director and I was so excited to see this movie. I, I had such a long lead on this, too, and I couldn't wait to talk about it because I, I did the set visit for. Oh, Slash man. Yeah. Back in, yeah. Back in like the uh, the fall of 2016. And. Being on set, listening to like what Taika was saying and what what you know Chris Hemsworth was saying and Tessa Thompson and, and all of them, like you could just tell there was this energy on the set. Uh, and what they were doing was completely different. It was you know it's it's all immersed in Jack Kirby's artwork, and it was such a turn from the previous two Thor movies, which I I, I did enjoy for the most part, mm-hmm. but there was something lacking from them. And Taika just brought this whole new energy and threw it in, and has you know made Thor. One of now one of the coolest, you know, Avengers, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up Tessa Thompson, too. She's so good. Amazing. She's so fun. Yeah. Like everybody is great in this movie. I mean, Idris Elba gets to shine. Uh, it's it's even Anthony Hopkins gets to do some fun stuff. Like at the beginning, he gets to be a little ridiculous and, and off the wall. It, it's I, it's great. And I think that that points to uh, a deft directorial hand, you know, uh, a guy who can take all of these wonderful assets that he's given and make them have fun, be funny and be entertaining, but not sacrifice any of that great action or spectacle either. Mm -hmm. For sure. And uh, so like, I kind of want to be a little contrarian here because both you guys love this movie, but 
I yeah, I, I just kind of I love it too. Like this is a mo- hard <laughs> movie not to love. That's the thing. Like I was guys in my press screening, Richard Brody from the New Yorker, you know, sat in front of me. I was like, oh man, what, what's Richard Brody going to think of this movie? And uh, you know, he seemed to be enjoying it, and he ended up writing a positive review too. Like it's 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 generally it's as good a crowd pleasing film that I can think of. And yeah. I've I've been excited for it since they announced Taika Waititi. Like honestly, I was a little worried because I know he's a tremendous director, but I was also worried about him working within the Marvel machine and potentially like crushing his you know unique vision. And no, that's definitely not the case here. Like this is very oh my gosh. much yeah. As Korg, he is as amazing Korg. as Korg. Yeah. Korg is hilarious. He is a scene stealer. Mm-hmm. Totally steals the whole movie, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Uh, so yeah, he plays the voice actor for one of the uh, the gladiators uh, on that planet. He is hilarious. But what I love is like this movie. This is such a Taika movie. Like that's it. Like this is nobody else could have made this movie, and I doesn't feel like his vision for what he wanted has been changed in any way. Uh, I was honestly still a little worried that maybe whatever led Edgar Wright to leaving Ant-Man, right? Whatever Marvel machinations kind of led to that. I was worried we'd end up seeing something similar here. And that's definitely not the case. And I wonder if Marvel and, uh, you know, the Marvel overlords and Disney too, like maybe have learned a thing or two. Um, But it also seems like they've done a better job of handling unique directorial visions than maybe the Star Wars people, you know, like that's kind of the conflict yeah. we're seeing now within the franchises. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, like I love this movie. I love this the cast kind of love everything about it. Um, Jeff Goldblum is is amazing and reminds us why we love Jeff Goldblum like this. I feel like this is just Jeff Goldblum, right? This is what he actually is. He actually is an interstellar. being. <laughs> yeah. That's just yeah. here to bless us with his uh, with his personality. Um, and Tessa Thompson, I love Tessa Thompson. Like she is she's been great forever. Like, honestly, I first noticed her in the second season of Veronica Mars and a show that I love. But she was also kind of great there. And she has continued to be just kind of a fantastic actor. Uh, she's also in Westworld there as well. Um She's going to be in Annihilation uh, what, next year. Uh, they give her character, like, she plays uh, a Valkyrie. Uh, she, she is a character with a lot of depth, a lot of background, a lot of personality. Um, and I think she's treated better than most women are treated in Marvel movies, too, right? Like, it took a while for Black Widow to become a legitimate character, especially, like, after she was introduced in Iron Man 2. Uh, but they do so much with her here. The action looks fantastic. Just the style of this movie. Uh, there's that flashback sequence that you kind of see a bit of in the trailer that looks like, you know, an old like romantic painting style. Like yeah. something ah, you would. So cool. I would want to frame that. You know, I wouldn't want to put that in the movie. I just want to like frame that and put it on my wall. And this like these very specific bits of vision. Um, you know, I'm just amazed that we kind of got a movie that did this. Uh, but you know, with that. Let's jump into spoilers. But first, you know, uh, Thor, he changes his look in this movie. He looks pretty hot. Yeah. He's super hot, but yeah. he starts out, you know, uh, the long hair and he gets the short hair in this movie. It's a style change. Uh-huh. I don't know anything about style. I wouldn't have been able to tell Thor that was going to look good. I would have been like, <laughs> keep keep the cape, keep the long hair. I don't know anything. And if you're like me and you don't know anything about style and yet you still want to look good, you want to be that post haircut Thor 
I got good news for you. Our sponsor, Bombfell, is the, the they got your back. Bombfell is a way to get matched up one on one with a dedicated personal stylist. This means somebody that's going to take you and turn you in to cool looking short haired Thor. I mean, I think they can pretty much guarantee you're going to look exactly like cool short haired Thor uh, <laughs> at the end of I'm pretty sure that I'm authorized to say that you will look like Chris Hemsworth at the end of this. If not, you'll certainly feel like Chris Hemsworth because you'll be dressed really, really cool. Here's what you do. You sign up for the Bombfell. You give them some of your personal information, uh, which is just like your height, your your weight, what you're into uh, as far as style goes. If you're looking to sort of keep the style you have or improve it, if you're, if you're more casual, if you want to kind of dress a little more upscale, just general guidelines for things that you might want – do your bombfell stylist to know about you. And then the stylist will contact you via email. I did all this, by the way, mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, and when they contact you, they, you, you, like you get to know them, they have a picture of them and they talk about who they are and what they, what they envision for you. And then they send you images of stuff that they might be thinking about. Cause you can say, I'm looking for pants. I'm looking for shirts. I'm looking for long sleeve. I'm looking for short sleeve. I'm looking for collared, whatever. They'll go, here's some ideas that we have. And then you go, well, that wasn't really what I was thinking or, wow, that looks awesome or anything in between. And you start developing this relationship with your personal stylist. And you can develop that over time. You never have to buy anything. They're always just proposing ideas for you. You just buy the things you want and you will actually get really cool clothes. When I did this, I got, I think, my favorite outfit I currently own. It, it, my wife loves how it looks. In <laughs> fact, I just shot a show uh, for Hulu. I brought that as my wardrobe because I was like, this is the thing I look the best in. The clothes all fit great. It's so easy. And guess what, guys? We're going to give you $25 off your first purchase. You got to check this out. It really is. It's for men. I know we get a, a lot of uh, ladies listening, so maybe you want to tell uh, the men in your life about this. This is this is clothing for men, in, in, intended for men. But you know, guys um, need more help. You guys need a lot of help true. with clothes. You, you gotta gotta grow up. You gotta learn to dress yourself with something it's like so this. True. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. $25 off your first purchase. Go to bombfell, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash filmcast. And you will get $25 off when you sign up. Uh I really am so glad I did this. I, I really uh, love the clothes that I got through Bombfell, and now I have a personal stylist on my own. Bombfell.com slash filmcast. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So guys, like they, I think we all kind of love this movie, but there are bits that I think uh, could have been better. Like that's the thing. Like as much as I love Kate Blanchett in this film, uh, first of all, her design, the way she just like kind of really inhabits this character oh, and has yeah. like a great swagger about her, she doesn't have that much to do. She kind of just well, shows. She she, she she's shows a big, up. Big scary bad person who kills yeah, a lot of people. Big scary yeah. bad person. But she just shows up and is like, oh, I'm here. I'm your sister. And, uh, you know, and it seems like very quickly uh, takes over everything and the plot just kind of moves forward. Uh, mm. I wish I had got a better sense of who she was as a character 
because uh, we kind of understand Loki, right? When Loki, um, when we were introduced to Loki as a villain in the first movie, like I think that relationship between Thor and Loki was very strong. And you kind of understood the sort of like Shakespearean parallels there. And that's something that first movie did well, too. That was like the best uh, thing Brana bought to, brought to that film. Uh, whereas here is like Hela is very, you know, she's pissed off that she's been imprisoned. But we don't get that much of her, and I'm surprised. Uh, I'm just surprised because this is a movie that's what two hours and uh, ten or fifteen minutes long. Like it's it is pretty long, and I, I just would have liked to see more of her. I'm not sure if you guys felt the same way. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, I didn't think about it at the time, just because I was caught mm-hmm. up in the movie. But looking back on it, is even though we find out about you know about Hela being you know Thor's sister and how Odin kind of you know, betrayed her by not wanting to go as far as she wanted to go with, you know, um, controlling the realms and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. We never really get any attachment to her in the way that we did with Loki. Like you, you feel a sort of a, kind of a sympathy for Loki and you, you like him as a character, even though he's always doing, you know, mischievous yeah. things. And this is like what the fifth movie where he's sort of like a friend, but not quite. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I would have liked to have, you know, maybe some kind of, prologue or an ex, uh, at least one scene where we re- we get to see right her you know during that time and really under- understand her feelings because we don't get much of that she she is for the most part just a straight up villain what i do like about her is that she seems to be the most formidable foe that thor has had to face on his own uh-huh. because because the only way they can defeat her you know is by calling upon sorter somebody else to to, to destroy her for them <laughs> so I, I like the, how powerful she is and how, you know, cool her fighting style was. And just like you said, her swagger, like just watching her move, even when she was just walking down the rainbow bridge, the yeah. way she swayed her body, it was like hypnotizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she was, really yeah had, and she, she had fun. Yeah, she she destroys Mjolnir. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's something a big deal. That, yeah. That's a big deal. And I think it's actually something that's going to have repercussions in future films because there's no resolution to that, oh, yeah. right? That, that's he goes like the, the biggest change we've it. had to the character of Thor since we've first seen him, basically. That's right? massive. Yeah. It's a huge and one. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to play into uh, the next Avengers film in some way, if there'll be some desire to reconstitute the hammer and that leads to getting one of the gems or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm grasping Gem at straws, hammer. but I kind of feel like it has to be addressed because it's so integral into who he is as a character. Yeah. I mean, has he gone for a while in the comics without Mjolnir? Like, I'm not sure if this is something they're hinting at that has happened before. Uh, if, if, if so, I'm not aware of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's had big, I mean, he's been, a uh, he's been changed into a different form and he's all, all kinds of crazy stuff, but I, I don't know if this particular storyline is, has been done, uh, in the comics. I may, may be corrected mm-hmm. by our audience, mm-hmm. but, uh, either way, it's it's a pretty big deal that the movies, I think, are going to have to yeah, address. For sure. And also, what I did like about the Hela plotline, though, is what it kind of meant for how we understood Odin, right? Like, oh, we think he's Anthony Hopkins. He's a nice, noble leader uh, leading the city of gold. And it's generally peaceful. Um, but it ends up being a story of colonialism, right? It's like, oh, yeah. this city of gold is paved on the blood and the sacrifice of the people you've conquered. Where do you think all that gold came from? I think even Hella says that at one point. Um, and I think that sort of like, hit, you know, original sin or the sin of what Odin did is kind of interesting. 
uh, the movie doesn't really confront it. But I also wonder, like, if uh, if it wasn't Taika doing this movie, right? A guy, he's you know, he's a Maori dude. Yeah, he's a dude he from the un- story of New Zealand. It's yeah, the story of New Zealand. I'm from a colonialized country. I'm, I guess. I, you know, ethnically, I'm from India, but my family, I was also born in South America and I got there because of the British. And it's a whole thing. Um, you know, colonialism is a big, it's it's a huge force that, yeah, changes lives. And I kind of like that the movie hinted at that, even though we didn't quite get much from it. It was just kind of a nice little touchstone there. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> see uh, layers on the Odin character of like, oh, maybe this guy wasn't all that nice. You know, it's an interesting <laughs> Interesting right. thing. He sort of dies conveniently. Yeah. Um, He's like, hey, guys, but... I'm not going to deal with these consequences. Peace. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like people just hire Anthony Hopkins now to die in their movies for them. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do. I agree. I thought that was an interesting sort of twist in the in in the retconning of the the history of Asgard, which mm-hmm. I thought was was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, cinematically. And also, I, we we haven't talked about Mark Ruffalo at all in this movie, but kind of love it. I love like I was really looking forward to the uh, Hulk and Thor team up, but also I'm glad that we see so much of like the Ruffalo Bruce Banner because I I loved him as an addition to the uh, the Avengers universe, and uh, it's it, it in many ways like it does feel like a direct consequence of what was happening in uh, in what was it in Age of Ultron, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like we finally get some bit of conclusion to that. Although I'm confused by the timeline here, right? Because we did see in that little uh, Thor roommate sketch, uh, Ruffalo was there on Earth, too. So I guess uh, I don't know when the timing of all that stuff kind of worked out. Yeah, it's uh, you're not supposed to think (laughs) about the sketches. (laughs) I love the Um, sketches. They're so good. But it's a very I mean, as different as Thor is in this movie. Hulk is, I would say, even more different. Mm -hmm. Right. We get fully sort of Hulk as Hulk as mm-hmm. a character, Speaking you know, sort stuff, of yeah. self-aware Hulk. And he's actually, I think, a different size and shape than he was even in the Avengers films. He uh-huh. feels a little more uh, manageable as a, a force to be reckoned with. It bothers me that that the marketing in this movie shows the Hulk because right. I thought that could have been such an incredible reveal. And it's played like a reveal just isn't a reveal to anyone, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, this is, I mean, yeah, if you didn't watch the trailers, but even then it's in the posters too, I believe. Right. Right. It's everywhere. You've been spoiled. I, yeah, there are definitely some surprises in this movie. And I, I do feel like they have to have, they have to say like, it's not just Thor. Cause remember the last few movies were just Thor and they were kind of boring. And I mean, I it's a great buddy picture, right? Yeah. It's a, it, yeah. it's a classic buddy picture. And I, I, for that it's, it's That's great. I just how wish you it had been it. a surprise for sure. And uh, man, I can't remember anything about Thor, the dark world, like talking like that, uh, these two movies, like back to back, like Thor, the dark world felt like the perfect example of like, I don't know, Marvel churn, just like, we've got to make another movie. Let's, let's get a guy who, you know, uh, it was Alan Taylor, right? He's not a bad director, yeah. but he doesn't, he, he's a game of Thrones guy. He can do good stuff, but he's a very workman-like director, and there was really no personality to that movie. Uh, whereas this movie is all personality; like the personality sells this movie. And for me, like I do think um, I still prefer if we, if we were to like weigh the Marvel movies, I think Guardians One does a better job of giving us. You know, those were all new characters. Like that movie did a lot of stuff, and it made us love all those characters. 
while giving us great banter and a fun vibe and also being a decent comedy. Uh, I think Thor Ragnarok does action in a better way than that movie because it felt like James Gunn was kind of just feeling it out. Uh, but, you know, compared to Guardians 2, Guardians 2 felt more of like a rehash and more of like what we saw before, whereas this movie, the banter feels more earned. It doesn't feel like, you know, uh, Thor is being a quippy hero because we have quippy heroes now and that's what they do. It feels more like, you know, he's been doing this for so long and he's just tired of this shit. So when he's in the opening, when he's fighting the dude, he's like, OK, what's up? Can you can you just tell me your plan? Cool. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that kind of bit is kind of funny. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to mention about this? Like, uh, what, what else we got here? We have the Doctor Strange cameo, which was yeah, fun. Yeah, which is great. It was a totally lot of fun. fun. Yeah, and I like the way, I just like his utter contempt for Thor and also for Loki. Like, just Doctor Strange is here to kind of keep order on Earth, and these freaking interlopers are messing up all his plans. Yeah. Yeah. So good. What was the line? Uh, like, I've been falling for hours. <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> Oh man, so great! Uh, the Matt Damon cameo, yeah, right, yeah, out of nowhere. I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Just the the overacting he was doing. Like someone should give him an Oscar for overacting for that scene because he was he was hamming it up so much. It was so great. So good. Yeah, Although so I guess fun. Matt Damon has well, I, I don't know. He hasn't written himself out of the Marvel universe, right? There have been actors who've done multiple uh, multiple roles within the universe trying to think of some right now uh but that was funny that was funny although i think uh uh-huh i didn't realize it until later but the person playing thor is luke hemsworth (laughs) (laughs) oh is that so i was trying to figure out who it was yeah i I, I couldn't tell under all all the makeup but Uh i i I, i've since found out that it was luke hemsworth which is just awesome (laughs) amazing there's always another hemsworth yeah way too many Hemsworths is uh, Kyle <laughs> Urban is in this movie guys and I think his character he, uh, that's another one that feels like he maybe got a little bit of a short uh, short I don't know he, he didn't get much to do in this movie right he is sort of like the guy who's handling the whole portal thing when Heimdall runs away and then he's like yeah. okay I, I guess I'm just gonna join up with Hela now I do feel like that's a character where first of all I love Carl Urban and they did try to imbue him with somebody who's as somebody who's like, there is a moral conflict going on here and he's definitely questioning what he's doing. But at the same time, he's also sided with Hela as she like, yeah, killed who knows how many people to take over, uh, to take over all of that. Uh, I, I wish know they I'm done a, more with him. Yeah. I know I'm a, a filthy gun hating hippie, but, uh, I just, <laughs> I, I found that sort of fetishizing of the gun thing, a little distasteful in this movie. It just felt yeah. out of place and weird. Yeah. I, I think for like a weird, overly macho warrior culture like this like it's funny in that sense but yeah it, it does feel a little out of place too. well also i, I think mm-hmm. it fits too because th- there's so much 80s vibe in this movie right, and, right. and the way he's wielding those two guns is is so <laughs> rambo like it's just, yeah. that's just exactly what it is so I, I think it fits in with you know the kind of movies that taika you know really like channeled the spirit of and so it's it's mm-hmm. it's a funny gag more than anything like i i wouldn't say that it fetishizes but i, but I can understand why mm-hmm. you would think that it, does, it doesn't work so well yeah, it's yeah. funny gag. I do feel like it's just the, the sort of thing. Like he's not a major character, so I can understand why they didn't write him too much. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of feel like he and Hella, and they're kind of paired up. It feels like two ciphers in a way. Like she is just the goddess of death, and he's just the lackey who's kind of latched onto whoever he can. Yeah, I will say mm-hmm. the one problem that I think that I I have 
um, and it doesn't detract much for me, but I, I think this may be just be simply because of how long the character's been around now is that I think that Loki has started to run his course. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think that he carries the same weight as he does anymore simply because he's flip-flopped so many times, and, like, we know that if he does something to betray Thor at one point, he'll end up helping him another time, and mm-hmm. so it's just, like, there's no real consequences for what he does anymore and the, I, I just like i find myself not being as interested in him as a character as i was when he was first around and i think part of that comes from him just being you know like you said i think it was five movies now yeah and you know maybe it's just time to give him a little bit of a break they, they've kind of overused him i still you know tom hill since he still seems to be doing good in this role like when they find him in the city and he's like man i've been here i've been like you know hanging out with people i've made all these connections that kind of shows like how good tom hiddleston is in that role but when yeah. it gets to like the twists and turns later on, I mean, even Thor predicted it. I think the movie kind of points out like how predictable all that is beginning to seem. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think we need a little more. We can't rely on Loki all the time for our bit of uh, like charm there. I think he suffers from that thing that happens. I'm trying to think of another character. I know there are many mm-hmm. uh, where like Jack Sparrow, introduced... right? Jack Sparrow is a great example. Yeah. yeah. That... But they're sort of introduced as this as this side character, but the the actor and the performance are so charming that they kind of demand more more screen time. Or mm-hmm. they start out as a antagonist, and people love them so much that they sort of become protagonists. And it's like that's not really how it was supposed to be, and so it's it never really a, a good fit. And it just feels a little uh, like it's lost its teeth, you know. And um, and that's a bit of a bummer, but I, I have so much fun with Hilston. I think he's so, so great, and his dynamic with Hemsworth is so well done at this point too. Um, yeah, I, I still enjoy it. I kind of just want something new to be done there, but that's pretty much it. Uh, anything else you guys want to mention about this film, guys? Like, I think we all enjoy it, uh, but the, at the end of the day, I guess sometimes it seems like when we all love something, we're just listing the things we love. Yeah, so that's any, true. Any, I mean, any right. larger takeaways from Thor Ragnarok? I'm interested um, in the things that they changed mm-hmm. from initially shooting to the you know the, the final cut. Oh, like what? Well, so I mean, even when you, if you look in the trailers, there there are certain shots that didn't make it into the movie. Like, I mean, one of the big ones that we was talked about leading up to it because the TV spot highlighted it was mm-hmm. they changed the location of where Hela destroys Mjolnir from being in New York to being you know this you know, sort of nondescript, right. uh, you know, um, we're in Ireland, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that kind of, that kind of area, they changed that. Um, but then like, there's that, that's that hero shot in the trailer of all four Hulk, Thor, Mm -hmm. Valkyrie, um, and Loki standing on the rainbow bridge facing off with Hela. And that's a shot that never happens in the movie. And there was a, the entire day we were on set, they were shooting a sequence with, all, all four of them preparing to fight Hela, and Loki has some kind of like playful exchange with her before the, or after this this begins, and you know involving the Grandmaster ship flying overhead and everything. And so they changed some stuff in the ending, like restructured the third act as to mm-hmm. what all the characters are doing to change that. And I'm just I'm curious as to like how they fixed it in in reshoots and what they decided to change. Huh, that that is interesting. So I wonder, like, I guess Loki still had to come with the ship, right? The whole point of that, him appearing there is to help save the people. Right. Yeah. But yeah, because they, they ended up all kind of getting split to doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah. That thought worked pretty well. It did. Yeah. 
typically you don't want to split up your party, but in this case it worked out well. <laughs> uh, I, well one thing I also want to mention too, like I like the uh, so basically Taika recreated uh, remade Battlestar Galactica. He saved, you know, he saved everybody um, by putting them on a spaceship and they're off to like maybe find Earth. And <laughs> That's true. If you look uh, like at one of the big party scenes earlier on, there is an 80s Cylon in there. I'm like, I oh, see wow. what you're doing, man. This is pretty great. <laughs> so it's another little another little nod that makes me love this movie. So great. Yeah, and also and also Jeff Goldblum, guys. Jeff Goldblum. We can't. Just, there's not enough. There's not enough more. words to to say about Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> like honestly, the, yeah. Go ahead. That take on a villain who's just <laughs> like, the, like the, this, so unique mm-hmm. to be. He's ostensibly a sinister, terrible man who <laughs> who rules with an iron fist, but he's also just sort of like this lovable goof. You know, it's he's so fun. Well, uh, he's just great. Jeff Goldblum. Like I, I also wondered like if that. If that's shtick, because it's basically the Jeff Goldblum shtick, you know, like the the, the mumbling and the like, yeah. oh shucks, guys, like uh, I'm I'm cool, you all love me still. Uh, I I was worried that was going to be a little too, I don't know, cloying in this particular role, but it kind of works, right? He is still the big villain, but with that personality, and it's just fun. That juxtaposition is fun, um, but I think just like Loki, right? This isn't a thing we can lean on too much. I feel right. like he could. This whole thing could get old real quick, but I would love to see like maybe how some of the other directors kind of handle him, like especially uh, James Gunn. Like if that's if this character showed up in a Guardians movie, or That'd you know who knows who knows who's going to show up in the uh, the next final Avengers movies. Yeah, yeah even right. even like when his his little side glances to Rachel House's character, uh-huh. like just giving her like shifty eyes, you know, when <laughs> when she's being sassy with Valkyrie, it's just like. I laughed so hard at everything that he did in this movie. Yeah. It's so good. It's so funny. Yeah. I think this movie, they just allowed it to breathe. That's the thing, right? They allowed like the humor to feel natural and organic. Uh, There's a lot of improv in there for sure. I think Taika as uh, what's his face as Korg kind of just led to like that sensibility too, right? It's just kind of a cool hanging around with your cool Kiwi friend type of vibe. And that's not something I ever expected in a Marvel movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's great and and unexpected in the Thor franchise, which, as we said, you know, even the directorial choices of the first movies, mm-hmm. it felt like Marvel was going, oh, this is our, you know, very staid Shakespearean right. uh, period piece films in the superhero canon, and to have them go, you know what, that whole <laughs> Planet Hulk line of comics was kind of fun. Let's just throw the let's just go crazy and let's make this ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> they took so a chance, fun. and I think it paid off. Totally. Yeah, I love it. As always, you can find us. Uh, you can find our last episodes at SlashFilm.com. You can email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com and find us on Twitter at, at SlashFilmCast. Uh, where can we find you guys on the internet these days? Uh, Brad? You can find me writing at SlashFilm pretty much every day. Not, not quite as often as I normally do because of my whole student teaching scenario, but I'll be back uh, in full blast uh, towards the end of December. You can also find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And I also have a podcast that I co-host with my friend Ben called Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X. And then that's available on iTunes and some other podcasting platforms. I hope to find you uh, running detention for a a gang of misfit teens that all eventually learn to love each other in (laughs) an unexpected way. 
I hope that that happens for me too. <laughs> Just pick a good theme song for that whole situation. Jeff, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, I have several other shows for you to check out, including two video game shows, a daily video game show that's only 10 minutes long per day, uh, catches you up to date on all the news. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. It's on iTunes and Google Play, or you can find it at anchor.fm slash NLB. And I do a weekly video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at engadget.com. Uh, check out my recent reviews of the Xbox One X, the Kindle Oasis the echo plus I've, I've been reviewing up a storm it's kind of crazy <laughs> i think it's quieting down now um but yeah there, there's a lot of stuff to check out oh i also chatted with uh, reggie Philane from uh, oh. nintendo so you know he's, he's a cool dude that was a good chat check that out uh and next week actually i i don't know if we'll end up having an episode next week but we may have something on murder on the orient express all right thanks for joining us folks have a good night This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.